All right, as I said, I'm, I'm really thankful that you're here. Um, what your presence does for me is it shows me that God is obviously moving in your life. And in some way or another, God is moving in your life. And what that looks like, whether you know that or not, that is the reason why you're here. Whether you've been dragged here by a friend from work or a, or a spouse or a friend or a brother or a sister, no matter what, I, I'm assuming that you have some sort of a desire to go deeper in your walk with Jesus. Or the second part of that is you're curious. Maybe, maybe you want to learn more about who Christ is. Maybe you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've seen bad examples of how Jesus lived. Maybe you've seen bad examples of people stewarding the gospel or stewarding a church or a Christian being not a Christian to you and he's just hurt you. Wherever you're at, I'm assuming that God is moving in your life to bring you to this point where you're searching. And as a church, our, ch our goal as Connection Church Savannah is to get every person that is sitting in these seats to become a partner with the mission that God has given our church to see the gospel reach the ends of the earth. And that starts right here in Savannah. And everything we're doing in this room, everything that's happening with your kids in the other room, everything that's happening here is to get you into a, into a growing relationship with Jesus, to watch you take your next steps, to see you become fully alive in Christ. And that's where we're at this morning because we believe that the mission of God is way too important and way more important than your comfort and my comfort. We're called to live a life that's sold out for Christ. And as Keg said, our heart is to give you a map to follow and not a menu to choose from. Our heart is to give you a, a to put you on a pipeline to see you go from point A to point B, to take you from where you're at to where God wants you to be. And we want to come alongside of you and walk with you in that. That's our heart in that. And so my question this morning is where are you at? You, you, may, you may have been part of a church your entire life, or this may be the first time you've darkened the door of a church in 20 years. I don't know where you're at, but I do know God knows where you're at, and I do know that God is sovereign. He knows exactly where you are this morning. He knows every doubt you have. He knows every of your sin that's in your heart. He knows all those things, and he still loves you, and he sent Jesus to save you from those things. And our heart is to put you on a, on a, on a pathway to get you to that point. And our heart this morning is we're, start, we're, we're continuing in our series. It's the fourth week of our series called Witness. And what we're doing in Witness is we're digging into the book of Acts. And so if you want to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4, that's where we'll be at this morning to go ahead and get a head start for you. Um, because I'm not sure if you realize it or not, but I talk fast. I can't help it. I've tried to slow down, but it just gets faster. So, um, but we're going to be digging into Acts chapter 4 this morning, where we're going to be looking at where God has literally sent Jesus into the world. And he, he, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and when Jesus rose again, he ascended into heaven, and then he breathed his life into the church. Isn't that awesome? He, breathed, he literally breathed his life, his embodiment into the church to see the church come alive. And so instead of one Jesus, there's billions of Jesuses, which was meant for us to take over the world, literally, not to be like pinky in the brain, but you know what I'm saying? Listen, so last week, we, we looked at Acts chapter 3, and we saw that people, what, what was happening in Acts chapter 3? You saw Eric did a, a, preached a great sermon last week about how the church, people weren't waiting on a church service to be filled with the Spirit. They, they were, they were, there was a pursuit that was happening in their daily lives that had ignited in their life what Christ had come to set up in the, in the world because Christ was now living inside of every believer. And what you saw was you saw John and Peter healing a man on their way to church. And so what that shows us is there's no such thing as a Christian who sits on the sidelines. If you come to Christ, you are in the game. There's no sidelines at all in the faith. Pass, passive Christianity is illegal in the kingdom. I'm just letting you know. Because hear this, salvation, and I said this two weeks ago, salvation is allegiance to Christ. 
allegiance. I'm pledging my allegiance to Jesus. Because when you come to him, if you're saved, Jesus is your king. He's not your president that you elected. He's not somebody that you've put in power over you. He is your king that, that orders every step of your life. All the things that you have are now his, but it's a great thing because he loves us. It's grace. It's his mercy. It's beautiful because Jesus saved us with a purpose to see us become who we were created to be. He saved us to put us on mission because your life now has purpose, and that purpose lies within the plans and the purposes of God, and it has nothing to do with you or me. And so we have to hear that this morning because if you think about it, look at most churches today. I mean, what... If you told the disciples and when they came to Jesus that they would have a life of comfort, prosperity, give to this and you'll get this, they would have looked at you like you were insane because these guys were going out there and they were being persecuted. They were being run over. They were being just torn apart for the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And listen, Christian, this is to the Christians in the room. You are not meant to stand on the sidelines cheering everybody else on. You're meant to be in the game with other believers. There's no sidelines in our faith, none. Let me tell you, this is exactly, Revelation chapter three, you ain't gotta turn there, I'll summarize. This is exactly where the Laodicean church was in Revelation three. When Jesus told them, this is what Jesus himself said, I'd rather you, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be on fire for me or don't follow me at all. Listen, and that's where the church has a hard time understanding. And we act like that verse is not even in Scripture. Like, he says, be, be hot or be cold, but don't sit in the middle. Because you're, if you're in the middle, you make me sick. He says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's a hard truth. But, but listen, the church today, we go along. That's never in the Bible. We just kind of look, oh, that's that. Okay, all right. We, we, ignore, we ignore calls for repentance. When God says, turn from your sin and follow me, we kind of ignore that sometimes. God calls us to repent, be baptized, because our pride has become so rampant and it won't allow us to show weakness or humility to our brothers and our sisters. We're called to be humble. And that's what we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 4. We're going to see the heart behind the disciples' radical pursuit of the kingdom that Jesus came to set up. And I want to, we want to show you that. We're going, today's, today's talk is going to be a little bit different. We're going to do a quick pass through Acts 4. And then I want to do something a little bit different than we normally do in this house. Um, and as I was praying through Acts 4 this week, God laid some pretty specific things in my heart. So I'm going to be obedient. Is that okay? Yes. All right, cool. So uh, Acts chapter 4. If y'all are there, we're going to read 31 verses. So buckle up. It's going to be great. Here we go. <clears throat> I'm on the wrong page. Here we go. Acts chapter 4, the, uh, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Remember last week they had, they had healed this man and so there's, there's, some, there's some issues there. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming, basically the apostles were doing their job, so they were mad. They were proclaiming in Jesus that resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who, who heard the message believed. So the number, the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And I can imagine them like, <laughs> you know, just kind of like chugging. Okay. 
I mean, I can just see it. You know, I, scripture comes alive in my mind, so I have a, I have a beautiful mind, like some, some of my friends says. So when it comes to this, I'm like, whew. All right, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and we talked about this in Acts chapter 1, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So you see boldness. Verse 11, Jesus is the stone who the builders rejected, and it has now become the cornerstone. Great verse. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Underline that. It's huge. But since they could see this man had been healed standing here before them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them, sorry, they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they had performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it because he's standing here. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone else. And that just amuses me a little bit. Verse 18. Then they called them again and commanded them, commanded them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go, basically. They, they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their people, went to, to the church, and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. To God, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Verse 31 has a huge word in there that I want you to see. There's three letters. And it's, the, letter, the word is all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And there's three things that I want to show you really quick that jumped off the page at me as I was reading them. And the first one is in verse 12. It says, salvation is found in no one else and no other name under heaven has been given to mankind by which we must be saved. My question for us this morning is a, is a challenge. This entire talk is a challenge to us. If it's your first time here this morning, welcome to church. But this is a challenge for all of us who say, hey, I'm a Christian. Is this the case? Excuse me. If verse 12 is the case, if there's no other way to salvation except through Jesus, which it is, how should this look in your life? 
How should, what, what should the motivator be in your life as you're living life more than anything else? What, what, and, and, and kind of going on top of that question, what in your life is the driving force? What pushes you down the road of life? Is it your career? Is it your money, your retirement plan? Is it your family? Is it your careers? Is it your, is it your comforts? Is it the, the things that you own? Is it, what is it that pushes you down the road of life? And if this truth has, has a, if this truth in verse 12 about salvation being found in no one else has not reshaped your whole life, then you have not begun to understand the truth of the gospel and what it requires of us to follow Jesus because it requires a dying of ourself to follow him. In verse 11, it says Jesus has, has become the cornerstone of God's building. The cornerstone for all you, um, it's the church. The cornerstone for all you construction guys or for all you non-construction guys is a construction term that determines basically the shape of the building. It, has, it, it sets the dimensions. It sets the foundation in place in the right place. And so basically the question in that is like, has Jesus been the determining factor in the shape of your life? Has Jesus been the one that has pushed you into the places where you're at? Or are you still in control? Are you still in control of your life or you're still driving the truck or the car or whatever you drive? Are you still in control where you're driving the, 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 in your life that you're making the decisions, you're the one doing the things, or have you submitted your life to Christ? Because a lot of Christians in America have, have fallen into this prosperity gospel. If you do this, God's going to do this for you. And that's false. There's nowhere in Scripture do you see this. I'm telling you today that God is for God. God is for His glory to be, be seen throughout the earth. And it's our heart to be seen, to see His glory reach the ends of the earth to the people who've never heard and the people in our communities that have felt lost, hurt, and broken. So my question is, has the gospel captured your life? Has the gospel captured your life in a way where you can't do anything except worship him? Because I'm going to tell you, when the gospel has captured your life like Peter and John, these jokers were standing before the government of their day, speaking boldly, knowing they might die, saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. Uh, you do what you got to do, but I'm going to do what I got to do. Because Jesus has, has taken a hold of my life like I can't explain to you. He's forgiven my sins. He's put me on a fresh start that I never thought I could. I cannot imagine life without him. But so many people, maybe even in this room, have never experienced the freedom that comes in Christ. We may be saved, but we might not have experienced the dying process that comes when you die to yourself and pick up the truth of the gospel and see God become alive in your life. Because when you come face to face with God, when you believe he is who he says he is and the implications that come from a life without Jesus, I want to share something with you. You begin to change. Your life starts shifting. You start sharing your faith with other people because you realize this is it. This is, this is the whole ballgame. I need the world to know that Jesus is the savior of the world. That becomes my driving force. And that leads me to number two. Verse 13, look at, look at the, the, the Sanhedrin here. Verse 13 says, When they saw the courage in the, of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. I, I relate to that really well, okay? They were astonished. And they, what does it say? They took note. Circle, they took note, or underline it, or whatever. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so my question for you this morning now at this point 
is have people taken notice that you've been with Jesus? Have people taken notice in your life that you have been with Jesus? And I'm not talking about, I try not to cuss so much, or I try not to, you know, argue too much with my wife, or I try not to drink as much as I used to. I'm a better person. Listen, Jesus did not come to make you a better version of who you are. Okay? Jesus has come to make you a new creation in him, to, to, to take on the qualities of who he is. And so, let hear this. Have people taken notice of you being with Jesus? This has zero to do with how much scripture that you can articulate. This has zero to do with, how, with, with what type of, of spiritual show that you may be able to put on because of your proximity with the church growing up. It, listen, the Pharisees... The Pharisees could quote the Torah in two languages. And Jesus came and was condemning them nonstop, nonstop. They didn't get it. They had, they, had, they, had lost, they had lost sight of the truth because of all the knowledge they had. They had the knowledge, but they didn't have the application. They were blind. What I'm talking about here in verse 13 is, a, is, a, is, is about the presence of God that was shining through the disciples like it did with Moses. Moses came down from the mountain, and what happened? He had been in God's presence. His face was shining. His face was like, whoa, what's happening here? Like, and I, I don't think that the Bible exaggerates. I think this was happening. It was, and listen, this, this is not talking about, you know, I'm looking to get something. But I know I'm just in God's presence because I love him. And I, I love my Savior. I love my Lord, so I'm going to be in his presence. And in that moment, you start seeing your life changing. And if that is not something that you love, then it's probably going to be hard for people to see that you've been with Jesus. And if you struggle with time, this is what I want you to see. If, if you struggle with this, then why? Ask yourselves, why do I struggle being alone with my Lord? Why do I struggle with it? Because is it, a, is it a desire thing? Because this is the thing, man. It's not a self-discipline thing. It's a belief thing. It's a, it's a faith thing. And I tell people this all the time. If you struggle with spending time with Jesus on earth, why would you want to spend eternity with him in heaven? I mean, ask yourselves that for a second. And this is hard talk, man. It is. But I would be not a good pastor if I didn't share this with you as I was reading this this week. The easy answer to that question is you don't want to go to hell, right? That's the easy answer to that question. You, you want a rescuer and a savior Jesus, but you don't want somebody to tell you what to do in the Lord Jesus part. And I want to tell you right now, there's no savior Jesus without the Lord Jesus. And we have to hear that because a fire insurance prayer will not save you. A fire, I don't want to go to hell, Jesus save me. That's not what saves you. And I don't care how many camps that you've been to in your life, how many conferences that you've been to in your life where you've prayed a prayer with a counselor or how many times that you've gotten baptized to make sure it sticks. You don't go to heaven by simply not wanting to go to hell. You go to heaven because you believe the gospel. You've trusted in the gospel and you love Jesus and you've surrendered your life to him and you've, you've said yes to him. You put your yes on the table and you let him put it wherever he wants. There's been a lot of false teaching in the church, and I'm sorry for that, for, for the entire church. There's been a lot of false teaching in the Christian world. And I want to tell you, if, if you look in Scripture, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where someone comes to Christ and is not radically different. Not radically different. Some of us in here today, and I'm going to tell you in a second, as we get going here, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some instructions on this, but some of us in here today need to get over 
our dignity. We need to get over our pride. And we need to, we need to shed off our religious exteriors that we're trying to hold on to so tight so that people can look at us and say, that man is a man of God. But deep down, you know, there's some holes that need to be filled. They can only be filled by the Spirit of God coming in your life and changing you. It's important that we see that this morning. You need to come before your Father, undignified, raw, real, exposed. Here I am. But how do, how do I know this? Because that's me. When I look at the American church, I see it full of people who say they're Christians, but their lives look nothing like Christ. The, the American church has been deceived, has been deceived by false doctrines, has been deceived by false gospels, has been deceived believing that they can just do whatever they want and ask forgiveness. Guys, I see a lack of discipleship. I see a lack of evangelism, but I see that growing in our church, praise God. But many people, even in here, don't even flinch at the staggering numbers of the unreached people groups in our world. It's just like, oh, it's just, what do, I can't really do anything about it. So, you know, whatever. This, what this shows me is a lack of understanding or, or it might reveal a lack of, of, of heart, of revealing it. You might have a cold or a numb or a hard heart. And we have to understand that I see people who are claiming Christ, but who are stuck, who are numb, who can't feel anything anymore, who have pushed God to the side so many times they can't remember how to get back. Who have pushed conviction down so many times, they forgot what it feels like. People aren't serving. People aren't generous. People aren't going. But it's because there's a hole that we keep trying to fill with other things and not letting the Holy Spirit guide us and lead us. We care more about being heard than being humble. More about saving money for our own kingdom than giving to the one they claim to be a part of. We care more about being self-consumed than we don't even realize it. If you don't believe me, check your bank accounts. Where, how much money do we spend on ourselves versus other people? How much money as a church do we spend on buildings other than the lost? Where are we at in our minds in the church? Do we get it? When I read scripture, do we get it? Do we understand what it's saying when it says go, when it says die to yourself and come alive in Christ? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because Jesus came and he gave himself. He gave himself spiritually, emotionally, and then eventually physically to the world that needed it. So my question is, have you taken note? Has people taken note that you have been with Jesus? Have people taken note in your life that you have been with Jesus? Is there an uncommon power exuding out of you wherever you go? The Holy Spirit living inside of us. And last point as we get done here. Verse 24 to 30, you see a, a mighty prayer being preached. You can see the heart behind this church. They were like, God, praise you that the gospel was preached to these leaders. Praise you, Lord, that you've done a great thing in our midst. But then they begin to pray that, that God would enable them to speak even more boldly, speak even more courageously. And they prayed for signs and for wonders to confirm the message that they were preaching. Is this the type of prayer life that you have? Is this the type of prayers that, that you pray? Is this the type, are these the motives of our heart? Because I read Acts 4 and I see it was Jesus 
that gave them the power to minister the word and to perform miracles. It was Jesus that did these things and the church knew it. It was, it was his name alone that deserved the glory for it. So they began to give him glory. The glory of God, hear this. The glory of God, not the needs of man, is the highest purpose of answered prayer in your life. The glory of God, pointing the glory back to him is the highest purpose of answered prayers in your life. A great litmus test for this is, you know, wh where are you at in this? What, what, is your, what does your personal prayer time look like? Is it, is it a struggle? Listen, we're all busy. <laughs> we all struggle. We all worry. We all have those moments of, of pain and these moments of, I don't know what's happening next. How does your prayer life look in your small groups? If you're in a connect group, what does your prayer life look there? Are you on your knees for your brothers and sisters? Are you caring for one another in those moments? Is the intent of your heart to see a church that is fully mature, ready to be sent to the nations, ready to be sent to the community, to see the works that God has planned for the body that we read about in Acts? Or are we more concerned about our own individual gifts being seen and used? What about your personal prayer closet? Are, you, are your prayers more concerned about your life? Or are they more concerned about your life in the context of God's mission? Had the places that, you, that you've been assigned to, your jobs, your families, your homes, your church, have they been shaken by the presence of God? Because I believe that room was really shaken. I believe the walls were shaken. And I believe that's the presence of God showing up in that place because I do not believe that there's an exaggeration in these scriptures. So where are you at? Where are you at? Has the gospel reshaped your life? Have people taken notice that you've been with Jesus? And do your prayers center around God's name receiving the glory in all things? Because this was normal thinking for them, for this church. So it has to be normal thinking for us because these are our brothers and sisters. These are, this is who we are. We're, we're together in this. When we go to heaven one day and see Peter and John, it's not gonna be like, oh, I read about you. No, it's gonna be together. We're one church. We're one body under Christ's name. And I pray that every person in this room hears this message, knows my heart. And if you're new this morning, you need to hear that my heart is meant to love you and to share the truth with you and to ignite a fire in your gut that sends you on your way that will push you into to the arms of God and be used by Him to see your gifts come alive, to be able to carry the high calling of carrying the name of Jesus to the world as we see it in Scripture. Because the, the Americanized church has taught us too many wrong things. It's time the church for to pick up its cross. It's time for the church to lose its control. And here's what I see is some of us have never been broken. We've never been broken before the Lord. I'm just saying, thank you. I see my sin and I see your grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's where it comes in to you see is that we try to, we try to be people who are so, look so good on the outside. We try to be so good on the, on the out, outward appearance. We white knuckle this image that we think 
that you're supposed to be doing. And we never let ourselves get too close to people or, or to God because they might, we might lose control, man. We don't want to do that. You know, we try to be Jesus to people without ever consulting Jesus to see how he wants to use us. We, being led by the Spirit is a rarity because we're too busy quenching the Spirit. And hear this. The root of every spiritual issue that I'm saying this morning is, is a root in pride. Because pride and humility cannot coexist. It might be because there's some areas in your life that you've become blind to because you haven't died yet. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Scripture in this matter. One of my favorite authors and, and, and pastors and theologians is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments to this world. It is the dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Jesus in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Jesus. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. Galatians 2, Paul says the same thing. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But what? Christ lives in me. This life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that us? Is that you? Are you in that moment? Or are you just here to hear another sermon? Guys, this is eternal purposes. This is eternal knowledge. And so I wonder what this looks like in the church today. Even, even if our, even, even our church, you know, have, have we been crucified with Christ? You may be saved. You may say, I got fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. But have you continued the process of dying? Have you died to yourselves, to your desires, to your plans? Have you died to your comforts and put his mission and his plan at the forefront of our lives? Is missional living anywhere on your radar this morning? Is it because it doesn't fit with your plans? Listen, we have to literally take the things that come against the knowledge of God. It says it in Corinthians, and, and, and it comes against our lives, and we have to kill it. We have to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. It means to crucify the flesh. And a second ago, I shared about crucifying the flesh and dying to self. And I, and I just want to do a very simple illustration that just, I'm visual, okay? But these are some of the things that I've dealt with in my life. And I'm not sure if you've ever dealt with these things. If not, y'all need to disciple me after church. We'll be good. Listen, fear, idolatry of self, worshiping yourself. You, you, you go there. Money and greed, unforgiveness. Are you harboring unforgiveness in your life? Have you been done wrong? And you just kind of push it to the side. Lust, seven out of 10 Christians struggle with pornography. Abuse, abuse, hurt. Are you struggling with that? Has somebody abused you in your life physically, sexually, emotionally, mentally? Hurt. Have you been hurt by somebody? Have you taken on offense in your life and you're holding on to it? And you're saying, I ain't forgiving that person. And then you're up back up here. All these things. Anger. Are we, do we have anybody in the house that struggles with anger? Don't raise your hand. Are we struggling with anger? Listen, do we struggle with anger? Like those things, and then this list could probably go all the way to heaven, right? We can all, we all struggle with these things. But listen, 
We have to let what, what the enemy has put us in prison with and allow God to use it as a tool for freedom in our life. Because what happens is, and don't, I grew up bad and I'm hokey, okay? So listen, what happens is this. We get here, and we're going to walk through this together, okay? We're going we're gonna to die. We're going to die of these things, and we're going to start seeing in our life. God's going to start taking these things, and he's going to start using them for good, and you're going to start seeing yourself with where it's supposed to be. And so listen, as we walk, as we walk in this, Galatians 5, chapter, verse 1 says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom's sake that Christ has set you free. So do not let, so stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So if you're in Christ, have you been set free or have you just got fire insurance? Have you been set free from the sin that, that entangles you, is, that has holds you back? Have you, are, are you worrying? Are you, do you have shame that you're still carrying around that Christ already died for? Are you still worrying about that sin that you did 10 years ago that Christ already died and paid for? Where are you at in this moment? And see, what happens is so many times, I think we forget, right? I think we forget so much. And I think sometimes what happens when, when we see something so often, it loses its beauty, right? Yes, answer is yes. How, how many times, you know, you ride by a sunset, and you might not even look at it. It's just kind of, I've seen that before. Or I've seen a sunrise. There might be a couple that's like, oh my God, you know, or the taste of a strawberry or a chocolate or, or something that you love. It's not as amazing as the first time because you just kind of get used to it because it's always there. Husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, friends, church, we always get to the point where things are just kind of, they're just there, so I take them for granted, right? What happens is the same. I, I had a very good example of this a long time ago. I got a Christmas present a long time ago. Still haven't opened it. Just kidding. This is, I just did this this morning. But I got a Christmas present one time um, from a friend from, from uh, across country, and, he, and, I, and I did. I just sit on my kitchen table like this for months. It just sat there. When I first got it, I was like, oh, I got a present. This is awesome. Got a present. Get to open it up. Christmas, awesome. Christmas continued, right? And so it just sat there, and it sat there, and it sat there. Come February, come March, and it's just sat there. After a while, it just came to be like something that was on my kitchen table. It was just, don't even look that pretty anymore. It's just a present, right? And so what happened was I, I lost, it lost its excitement. It just, it just became a, a pretty box that was in my house. And even, even when I did open it eventually, the gift that I, that I, that I got from it did, did not excite me that much, as much as it would have I just opened it. And this is what happens, I think, a lot of times when you come to faith and God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit to be used in your life and you put him on a shelf somewhere. It's important that we understand that we're called to live in the Spirit. Galatians 5 says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Are you struggle in sin? Live by the Spirit. Pick it up. Open it. Live in it. Walk in it. Be a, let's be a church that, 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 that correctly mirrors the image of God to the world because our city, our world is tired of seeing plastic churches. It's time for us to start living in what he's called us to live in. Because when we take things for granted for a long time, we become familiar with them. But when God becomes, when God becomes something that we just do and not something that we worship, not someone that we have an encounter with in our prayer closet, it's possible to lose awe, lose our awe and our wonder of who he is and what he's done for us and in us. We forget about moments that he saved us from our sins and delivered us from our sins. And I started thinking about this concept. I wonder how many times Abraham took Isaac by the hand back up to that mountain and said, you remember this spot right here? This is where God delivered you and me. 
He provided a lamb, a ram for us to sacrifice in spite of you. How many times did David go back to that battlefield and like just in awe of what God had done in, in, with Goliath through him? Or how many times did he delivered? How many times did Moses go back to the Red Sea and just wanted to see if he could part the seas just one more time? Listen, huh? Just kind of just see, just see, just see what could happen. How many times did Paul go back to Damascus on the road to Damascus and remember what God had knocked him off his high horse and given him freedom from his sin, his past life, and to put him on a pathway to freedom. Today, I want to give you a chance to respond, to go back, to go back to where God has saved you, to go back to a moment where God had moved and you just kind of put him on a shelf, to go back to where God has wants to move in your life. If you're not a Christian in this place this morning, if you, you say, hey, I'm not a believer, or if your life is not shown fruit of a believer, I want you to get that right this morning. I want you to come to faith in Jesus Christ this morning and turn your life over to him. And I'll give you a chance for that in two seconds. But listen, God has already made the first move. Sending Jesus was his first move. Use this time at this altar between you and God. Come before God, your Father, fully exposed. Take your mask off. Let him have every ounce of who you are. Bring it before him. Don't let complacency destroy you. Proverbs 1 20 to 32 to 33 says, For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be eased without fear of harm. Don't sit here and know that God is calling you and, and to respond and not respond. That's how, that's how a heart becomes whole, cold and hard. Today, if you're holding on to unforgiveness or habitual sin, you can't stop. I want to stop, but I can't stop. I want to stop, but I, I just sometimes I don't want to stop. If there's something you never told anyone in your life because you've been embarrassed, come to this altar. There's going to be a prayer team that's going to come and make your way up now if you'd like. Um, there's, we have a prayer team. I want to tell you something about these guys. These guys that are going to be standing up front, I've been meeting with for the last two or three days. They've come up here on a Friday and they've prayed. They've, this morning they were in prayer for you. They were in prayer for this time. And so they are, they are prayed up and ready to hear whatever you had to say. And I want you to use these people like they are the person that you want to forgive or, the, or God himself even. I want you to look at Thomas and say, hey, bro, I've done this. Pray for me. James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another. It's important that we understand there's no shame here. This is a place of healing. This is a place of renewed um, friendship and, and new life in Christ. Confession is important in the faith. If you're holding on to an offense, I can't believe what he did to me. I can't believe what she said to me. I can't believe that. I, and you holding on to it. There's a book called The Bait of Satan. It's about offense. Satan wants to get that offense and just dig into your heart and create a root of bitterness. Before long, it's just going to sit there. Come. The last part, the, the hardest person for you to forgive in your life is yourself. I'm telling you because I know. About eight months ago, I went to Trace Diaz and I had to forgive myself. And I realized I had to forgive myself. And I was like a little babbling baby at the altar. Listen, maybe you've done things that you can't imagine that people would look at you the same way. That, you, that you've been around things or you've, you've said things or seen things that you can't see a way around. But guess what? Jesus made a way. But there was no way. He destroyed that wall. So you can come to him freely. You can't receive God's love because you've been struggling loving yourself. 
I don't know. But one thing I know for sure, if we're all messed up in here, which we are, are messed up in here, there's no perfect people in this room. We all need a savior. And we need him, we need Jesus way more than just in salvation. We need him every day to repent, to come back, to remember, to look back at what he's doing. So come, let the Lord minister to you through this prayer team. Use them as a sounding board, but do not come to this place with some repetitive, emotional decision. Get real. Come and decide. Today is a day. I hope that that you write down as a new start, a day of freedom from sin, a day of freedom from the world, and the start of something fresh in your life where you're going to pursue God and where where you might fit in his mission. Repentance is the beginning of the salvation. Come repent of your sin. If there's something in your life that Jesus is pointing at right now, as we're talking, come. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let him say, that's weird, that's weird, that's weird. No, this is scripture. Come before the Lord. Proverbs 28 says, whoever conceals their sins do not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is a place of mercy, a place of healing. And if you don't feel comfortable praying with these guys, come before the Lord by yourself. The goal in all this is for you to see that God has created you for more than sin. And he's, he's created a way of freedom in Jesus. And it's time for you to stop being beat down and destroyed. It's time for you to start living life in the way he's called you to live. And so these guys are here for you. I want to pray for you. And I just want to tell you that I love you. And that's why we're doing this this morning this way, because I believe God wants freedom for every person that says, hey, I'm a Christian. Why are you living a life of freedom? Are you still stuck in all these different things that Satan tries to hold you down by? Before we do that, on my way here, and I don't usually do this, okay? I'm not, I try not to freak people out too much. That's a lie. Um, On my way here, I was praying for every person in this room. I was like, God, show me, like, you know, give me words to say this morning. Give me wisdom in how to speak the words you're showing me to say. Give me wisdom in how to convey the word and and, and he put on my heart I, and I'm as clear as day like people need to make a decision to follow me because there's people on this side of the tracks and there's people on this side of the tracks there's people trying to straddle the tracks and as I'm praying through this I'm like you know okay well this brings me to my question for you do you know Jesus or have you followed some Americanized Christian version of a stained glass Jesus has, has Jesus come into your life and provided you freedom? Has Jesus come into your life and changed your life? Have you seen fruit in your life? There's, there's been a lot of, of, of rhetoric all in, in the church, and been, a lot has been false. But if you've never come to Christ and said, Jesus, I'm repenting of my sin, and I'm turning to you. Here's the control. I want you. Father, change my life, free me from sin. If you've never done that, and you want to be in a relationship with Jesus this morning, I want to ask you to do something really brave in a second. I want to ask you to raise your hand in just a second. But before I, before I do that, I want to tell you that this is not an emotional, hey, I'm going to go to church. And get, no, that's not what it is. This is a life change that you would never, ever forget because Jesus is going to put you on a path to freedom and a path to where he wants you to be, not where you're trying to get. And so this morning, I just want you to be brave. This is you. And I, I'm confident that it is someone in here. If you need Jesus this morning, if you never walked in that type of freedom and you want to make that decision today, would you raise your hand so we can pray with you, please? Who is that? Anyone? 
please. I know, I know it's someone. Okay, if not, come get it right here. I'm gonna pray. You guys come. Father God, we love you. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, I thank you for uh, giving us your son Jesus to, 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 so that we could have freedom. Father, I pray, God, that you would move in this place, that you would just save lives, save souls in here this morning, that you would just give us freedom, God, to be able to do what you've called us to do. God, I pray against the sin that is in someone's life this morning, that you would um, provide them freedom, God, that they would see a way out, and that way out is you. God, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to someone in a very real way this morning. Father, I pray that someone's heart would be softened to hear what you're trying to speak to them in this time of response. Lord, I pray for people to respond, to get out of their seats and move towards you, Lord. Father, we thank you for what you've done in your son, Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for giving us new life. Father, I thank you for freedom. And it's your name I pray. Amen.